it was quite the night, so a uh, little sleep deprived. So, yes, this morning we resume our Philemon series, and so this is part three, so we end our Philemon series this morning. I don't know what the Lord has uh, shared with you or what He's spoken to uh, you these last few weeks, but uh, He has spoken to me in, in lots of different ways. Our uh, our daughter, I was talking with our oldest daughter this week, and, and I'm just reminding her that God's Word has every answer to this life. So there isn't anything that can happen in this life that the Bible doesn't have the answer to. And Philemon is one of those books for me that as I look at life, the answers are right there. Incredibly practical books of how to do life, and how to do life in relationship, and how to offer forgiveness, and grace, and mercy, and to recognize that God is a God of second chances. So, again, I'm not sure how the Lord has spoken to you these last few weeks, but I have really enjoyed Philemon, and so hopefully the Lord has blessed you as well through the, through the book itself. So, we're going to wrap things up. So, verse 17, so Philemon... Chapter 1, verse 17 through 25. And I'm going to read that to us and for us this morning. Verse 17. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him, Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write that with my own hand that I will repay whatever is owed, to say nothing of your owing me your very self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Artistarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Again, Philemon is this book that's chalked with so many different truths, so many different themes, that it can be really hard to just pursue one. Again, a book of restoration and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And at its core, Philemon is really a book of, of second chances. I ran across a story this week that it's a story from a long time ago of another man who needed some second chances. His name was Roy Regals. And Roy Regals played football for the University of California. And in the 1929 Rose Bowl, Roy picked up a fumble, spun around, and headed for the end zone. Except he headed for the wrong end zone. And so he would have scored for the other team, but somebody from his team actually tackled him on the one-yard line. You guys have maybe heard this or seen this. It's a pretty classic story. And so this was just before halftime. And so the entire team files into the locker room during halftime. Roy Regals, he's got a 
blanket around his shoulders. He's basically huddled on the floor in the corner. He's got his hands in his face and crying like a baby. You know, coaches typically have a whole lot to say during halftime, and um, but California coach Nibs Price, he was pretty quiet. And uh, Coach Price looked at his team, and he glanced over at Regals, and he said, men, the same team that played the first half are going to start the second half. And all the players took off and moved close to the locker room door and got ready to go back out there. But Regals didn't move. He didn't budge. He sat there, slumped over. And uh, Coach said, Regals still didn't move. Coach Price walked over, looked down, and softly said, Roy, did you hear me? The same team that played the first half will start the second. He lifted his head, big tears in his eyes, clearly sobbing. Coach, I can't do it. I've ruined you. I've ruined the university. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face that crowd in the stadium to save my life, is what Roy Regal said. And Coach Price reached out. He put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, Roy, get up. Go on back out there. The game is only half over. And like Roy Regal's headed for the wrong end zone, the Bible is full of stories, story after story, of those that needed a second chance. And Onesimus is one of them. And the truth is, is that Jesus is just not a God of second chances, but another chance, and another chance, and another chance. Endless chances. you got Jonah. Jonah obviously ran from God, spent time in the belly of the whale, finally listened to God. But God said, you know what, I'm not done using you anyway. you got David, incredibly, incredible man of God, sins deeply. But God still calls him a man after his own heart. Peter denied knowing Jesus three separate occasions, but yet is restored. You know, Paul, the one who's writing this letter, he attacked Christians, he persecuted Christians over and over and over. And by God's grace, he was granted a second chance, another chance. And Paul spent his life serving the very God that he used to speak against. So God is not only a God of second chances, but another chance and another chance. And so these last nine verses of this letter, again from Paul to Philemon, it's all about a fresh start, a new start to give Onesimus, the man who's greatly sinned, give him a new life, give him a new chance. And Paul's intention and hope is that Onesimus wouldn't have to pay for his past mistakes, but to recognize there is one who's already done that, and his name is Jesus. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Onesimus did with the money that he stole. We don't get much about that. But he stole from his master, but he likely used the money to make a new life for himself, to get to Rome. He was hiding in Rome. Big metropolis, big city, so to speak. And he was hiding there from the former life, from the former man he used to be. And Paul, amazingly, he says, if Onesimus owes you anything, if this guy owes you anything, if he stole from you, charge it to my account. Literally, he says, put it on my bill. I'll take the debt. Kind of almost this image of like, Onesimus at this fine restaurant and Paul saying, you know what? Order whatever you want. Put it on my tab. I got this. Again, the punishment would have been certain death 
for Onesimus, but Paul asked Philemon to do something that was totally unthinkable in this culture. Absolutely unthinkable. To wipe Onesimus's slate clean, to give him a second chance, another chance, and another chance to give him a fresh start. It had been a crime, right? It had to be a punishment, right? That makes sense. There was injustice. So there had to be justice, right? That's how it works. But Paul said, no. I'm going to take his debt. I got this. The most remarkable truth in the whole passage is just this right there. That Paul basically says, take me instead. I've got it. I'll take the punishment that he deserves. That's precisely what Jesus did, right? He took the punishment that we deserve. He willingly went to the cross to take our sin. To die on our behalf. A wrong had to be righted. That was Jesus. And all that Onesimus knew was that a debt needed to be paid. And this man, Paul, steps in and says, I'll do that for him. Again, just like Jesus on the cross. Paul didn't deserve, right? He didn't deserve what happened or deserve to pay the debt. But he did it willingly anyway. You know, it was one thing for Paul to promise to pay for Onesimus's debt, you know, kind of some flowery words or language, or to say, I, I got that, hey. But guess what? He wrote it down, and he sent it to Philemon. He wrote it down, and he sent it to the church. So we know that Paul meant what he had to say. He said, I will repay it. And it was a binding contract between Paul and Philemon now all of a sudden. It's easy to say, hey, yeah, no problem, I got that. If you ever need help moving, I'll be happy to help you, right? That kind of a generality. But Paul wrote it down. He said, I got it. I'll take care of it. Whatever debt it is, it'll be mine. You know, Paul's the same guy who used debt language back in Colossians. Same sort of language here. Not about himself, but about Jesus. Listen to what Paul wrote here in Colossians. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this God set aside nailing it to the cross that he, God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over the principalities and powers through Jesus' blood. So here's Paul talking about Jesus taking the debt that we owe. There's some sort of debt language. The righteous for the unrighteous. Paul raises his hand and he says, I got this. And the question that I have for us is, are we willing to do that same thing? Are we going to love like Paul did? Would we sacrifice for someone to that degree? So much that it hurts. It's easy to give, but it's hard to give when it costs us something. And for Paul, there was a huge cost to what he was going to give Philemon. During World War II, a young soldier by the name of David Webster of East Company of the 101st Airborne, he wrote this to his mom. He said, Mom, stop worrying about me. I joined the parachutists to fight. I intend to fight. And if necessary, I shall die fighting. But don't worry about this, because no war can be won without young men dying. Those things which are precious are saved only by sacrifice. We can't forget about Ephesians. It refers to the Christian life as a war, a spiritual battle in a battlefield. And wars are won and lost on the battlefield. 
You know, to answer the question of hymn writer Isaac Watts, no, we will not be carried to the skies on flowery beds with ease. There is no victory apart from sacrifice, just as our salvation was purchased at a great cost. Overcoming the enemy and walking in the Spirit requires that we be willing to give, give up some things in order to gain victory. So when Paul says, Philemon, I will pay for this debt. I've got this debt that's owed. Paul takes this moment to say, look in the mirror, Philemon. Has God not shown you the grace and the mercy? Has God not also shown you forgiveness? And may you do the same. In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And uh, Peter asked Jesus, he says, well, how many times do I forgive my, my brother and my sister? How many times do I forgive him when he sins against me? These are words that Philemon would have known. Seven times? No, 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 says Jesus. And he says, 77 times. That's really a number that represents an infinite amount of times. And then Jesus tells the story of the unforgiving servant. And the unforgiving servant is about the consequences of not forgiving others. Wanting all the grace in the world for yourself, but not extending that same grace. I want to read this, Matthew 18, verse 23 and following. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized this servant and began to choke him, and saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But the other servant refused and went out and put him to prison until he should pay his debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported it to their master all that had taken place. And then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not have you had that same mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We want all the grace in the world for ourselves. But we're so less apt to extend that same grace. And so Paul says, Philemon, may you extend that same grace that you too have been shown. Are you going to live in forgiveness? Or are you going to live in bitterness? Are you going to live in anger? Are you going to hold on to the wrongs that were done? You have two choices, Philemon. What's it going to be? And imagine for a minute, um, you know, sitting in jail like Paul. You know, Paul was sitting in jail. He was under house arrest is what they would have classified it as, couldn't go anywhere, didn't have any real freedom to speak of. And uh, 
You would have been very hungry to see evidence of God's work, hungry for relationship, hungry for for testimonies of God's great grace and mercy. And so Paul is watching from the outside, and again, he's writing this letter to Philemon, and he's asking for this forgiveness in action. And Paul says the forgiveness would be life-giving. Verse 20, if you look at that again. Yes, Philemon, I want some benefit from you. Please refresh my heart in Christ. Almost as if Paul's calling in a favor, going, you know what, you owe me, man. And this is time to pay up. And you can almost hear Paul saying, I've given so much. He really says, you owe me your very life, by the way, Philemon. I've refreshed your heart, Philemon. Now, by God's grace and mercy, may I receive back some refreshment. Not in a selfish way. I don't think Paul had any selfish regard in mind, but he was anxious to see the love of Jesus in action. Can you hear that a little bit from Paul's writing? He says, refresh my heart. I need evidence of God's work. And I think it's a reminder that no matter where we are in this life, we all need evidence of God's mighty work in our lives, don't we? So here's Paul, a pastor of the pastors, a church planner, a missionary, Hebrew of Hebrews, again, a chief church planner, gospel worker. He says, I could use some refreshment. I could use some encouragement in my heart. And Philemon, may you do that for me. We all need that. In verse 21, you know, Paul makes this uh, kind of final appeal. Again, we've read about a number of appeals that kind of Paul makes in his letter. And verse 21 is this final appeal. And and Paul says, I really am writing and supposing the outcome of the situation. He's kind of speaking kind of future tense into the situation. And he says this, he says, I am confident of your obedience, Philemon, and I know you will go above and beyond just the bare minimum. I know you'll do more than what's asked of you in this. So Paul was not only saying, I trust that you're going to receive Philemon back, but saying, you're going to go the extra mile too. And he's again kind of presupposing the outcome and saying, I trust that God's going to work right here in you in this situation and that you're going to choose to honor Jesus with this decision that you have before you. And Jesus has something to say about this, about going the extra mile, doesn't he? So Matthew chapter 5. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let them have your coat. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, is what Jesus says. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him, for the one who wants to borrow from you. It's hard to say what Paul kind of expected here, but he knew that Philemon was going to do more than the bare minimum. You know, the thought would be that Paul was saying, why don't you send Onesimus back? Maybe he can continue to be a gospel worker. The bare minimum would be to wipe his slate clean. But that much more, or more than the bare minimum, would be sending Onesimus back. And maybe he can continue to be a gospel worker with Paul and for Paul. So that might have been what Paul was referring to. Scripture is not clear. But we know that Paul was asking Philemon to do more than just the bare minimum. Paul was asking Philemon to do nothing less than receive his brother with open arms. Again, just as Jesus has received him. 
couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago, we talked about the word reconciliation. God's very intention for all human relationships is that there would be reconciliation. And reconciliation is this idea of a desire to repair what was broken, to pursue forgiveness, to work on mending the relationship. And so you had these two men, and each of them had a responsibility in this moment, didn't they? Onesimus was going to go back and repent and ask for forgiveness. And Philemon, he was going to forgive. And the relationship couldn't be mended if these two men didn't do their part. They both had a role. They both had a responsibility. And at some point, they were going to connect and reconcile what was broken. The relationship couldn't be mended, right, if these two guys dwelt on the past or if they were pointing fingers or if they wanted to dwell on yesterday or live in anger or bitterness. You have to read between the lines a little bit here, but I think Paul is really saying, may there be restoration. May we go one step further than reconciliation. Reconciliation is desire to repair, and restoration is repairing things to the intention, to God's intention. It's a rebuilding of the relationship It's this idea that both men would be willing to do whatever it takes to live as brothers and Jesus. Again, both of these men had a responsibility. Onesimus would have have to go look Philemon in the eyes and ask for forgiveness. Forgive me. I repent. And Philemon would have been willing and open to opening this letter, reading Paul's letter. He would have had to look Onesimus in the eyes and say, Indeed, you are forgiven. Your slate is wiped clean. Go and sin no more. When Thomas Edison was improving his first light bulb, to the astonishment of the onlookers, he handed a finished bulb to a young helper. And this young helper nervously carried the bulb upstairs, step by step to the vacuum machine. And at the last step, the boy dropped the bulb and shattered it into a thousand pieces. And so the whole team, the whole team of, um, the whole team had to work for another 24 hours to actually make a whole brand new bulb again. It took 24 hours to make another bulb. And when Edison again looked around for someone to carry the bowl upstairs. He gave it to the same boy and said, you take it. And Thomas Edison, he knew that the story was so much bigger than the light bulb, but it was an opportunity for a second chance and another chance. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us if there was some big glorious reunion between Philemon and Onesimus. We don't know if they skipped off hand in hand. We have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us any of that. We're left to imagine what might have happened. And Paul leaves us hanging a little bit. And he says, I trust that both of you men are going to honor Jesus with your decision. In verse 25, the last verse of our passage, Paul says this. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In other words, Only by God's grace could Philemon forgive Onesimus and receive him back. 
wasn't under his own power, wasn't something that he could do, but by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can change hearts, heal hearts, mend broken hearts. You know, God's grace was available in this moment. The power to choose Jesus was available for these both, for both men. All that was left was for both men to go now do it, practice it. Practice forgiveness and grace and mercy in this moment. So I don't know what that looks like for us or for you. If there are people in your life you need to go to and ask for forgiveness from, you need to go and repair what was broken. If there's reconciliation that needs to happen, a restoration, that you would do that sooner than later. Do it as soon as possible. God is a God of reconciliation, a restoration and repair. Jesus reconciled us to God by his death on the cross. Not because of anything that we did, but because of his unending love and his grace and forgiveness and mercy. We love because Jesus first loved us. We forgive because we ourselves have been forgiven much. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I trust that you, uh, again, spoke to our hearts and our minds here today. God, I don't know what this passage uh, means specifically for each and every one of us, God, but I ask if there is restoration and repair that needs to happen, God, that we would go and do that right away. God, you are a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness and a God of second chances and more than second chances, God. Chance after chance, another chance and another chance. So God, we thank you for that, that you are unending in your grace and your mercy. You love us no matter what yesterday has held, God. You still hold us in the palm of your hand. You still have a plan of purpose for us. And God, we just thank you for, again, for what you're doing in our midst. We ask that we would go out and show the love of Jesus to others outside these walls as well, God. There are people in our community that need to see you, and God, we ask that we would be your hands and your feet in this community right here where we find ourselves. Again, God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing. And so Lord, we know that you haven't given up on us, that you give, a, give us another opportunity to trust you, to worship you, and to live in your grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen.